Alright, so let me catch everybody up to speed. This week, okay, this is a big subject, so I, I, I mean, let me think about it. I haven't really thought how I'm going to lay it out so much, but the news came out in Israel last week about um, five, five red heifers have been flown to Israel. Alright, so let me back up. Um, in the Old Testament, in Numbers 19, is what we're going to be today, there's a very peculiar ordinance that God gives them where they need a red heifer, the Jews do. And, uh, oh, Belinda looks puzzled. The Jews need a red heifer in order to purify themselves so they can build the third temple. And for us that have one eye on end times, we know that building the third temple is like a big deal because the Antichrist is going to need that temple. Uh, It doesn't exist today. The Jews can't build it until they get a red heifer. And they've been trying to find one for years and years. And they finally have found five candidates. They found them in Texas. And they flew them to Israel a few weeks ago so the rabbis can like really keep a close eye on these five heifers. So, you know, all of a sudden the news all over the world's blowing up about these red heifers. Um, and unfortunately, there's also a lot of nonsense that's getting tied in with it and a lot of if you go on YouTube you know I've been following the red heifer for for quite a while and it used to be like when you go on YouTube and I want to get a, a red heifer update through the Temple Institute or something you'd see a couple videos on the red heifer it was kind of like under the radar well now when you go on YouTube it's like the hundreds of hits everybody and every housewife and every guy every everybody in the world are posting videos how this is it you know, pack your bags. The end is here. Well, yes and no. And that's what we're going to kind of go through today. With exactly what happened over there and what and, and how it impacts us and, and how we need to look at it and things like that. So, so yeah, I've watched a lot of these. Uh, that lady up there is crazy. She's, she's basically saying the end is, you know, it's, anyway. Uh, it, so, it, so there's a lot of confusion about it. So... I was going to start with the a reliable source. This is from a Jewish perspective. There's kind of two ways of looking at this red heifer business. There's the biblical way out of Numbers 19, and that's what and that's where it applies to us, and that's where we're going to study in a little bit. We're going to look at Numbers 19. What's what's God really say about these heifers? And then the other is, what are the Jews teaching? Because what they're teaching isn't necessarily biblical and uh, we're going to kind of compare the two and then then you'll, you'll kind of understand a little better from the Jewish perspective from our Jewish friends the, the source the authoritative source on this red heifer business is the Temple Institute it's got an awesome website I think I've got, I've got a picture of it in a second it's got an awesome website if you haven't been there I'd go there um They've got a whole thing about their history, and it's a cool history. You know, I don't know if you know much about the Six-Day War in 1967, but that's when the Jews actually took control of the Temple Mount. 
And one of the paratroopers that's in the Israeli Defense Force that did that, he was so awestruck by the fact the Jews are now on the Temple Mount that he started the Temple Institute to help bring about this third temple. So this is kind of the guy behind the scenes. I didn't put his name. It's a big, long name. But that's how they got started. In in 87, they kind of became an official entity. Um, They've got a nice... um, website. They've got a nice YouTube channel. They post all kinds of cool videos. These are the guys in Israel that have already made like the altar, the table of showbread, all the utensils that go in the tabernacle. These guys are, are spearheading this whole effort to get the temple built. The menorah. The menorah. Yeah, they have all, all the stuff's in gold. Did you guys go to the office? Yeah. yeah, Steve was at the office there. They're in Jerusalem. They won't let you take any pictures or... Oh, they won't? No phone calls. Oh, wow. I imagine. They're dead serious. They're like, if we see you doing this, well, that will take you out. Huh. Yeah, they're very serious. They're very (laughs) serious. So they post great videos all the time, almost every day. And and they've had a lot of Rosh Hashanah videos this week. So anyway, that's the the Temple Institute uh, YouTube channel. Uh, that's their Facebook, I believe. Yeah, that's their Facebook page. They got a good Facebook page. I mean, they're very high tech, very good. Uh, I've been listening to Temple Talk for years. They put that out usually on Mondays, and it's always interesting around the Passover. These are also the guys that were sacrificing the Passover lamb outside of the Temple Mount. They're kind of on this little area. And uh, you can actually get on and watch those. I remember watching those. And then they had to, they got shut down during COVID, but they'll probably do it again next April. So yeah, these guys are dead serious. There's the five cows. And what they did, the temple, the temple institute has been working with the American, like the Red Angus Cattle Society for years. So you got all these American ranchers, and you know Jersey, Mississippi have been some. A lot of them in Texas that are raising cows, trying to raise a red heifer for these guys. So it's kind of a partnership between the Red Angus Association and the Temple Institute. So that's that's kind of cool. Um, so what happened was the, the, supposedly the story on these guys is the rancher in Texas. He had these Red Angus cattle, and and he they had some calves. And there was a guy that was going to show up to put the ear tags in him, but he got COVID, so he couldn't. But then when the rancher showed up, he realized these guys are pure red. So I'm glad they didn't get ear tagged, because that would have made them you know, blemished. And Yeah, they would have defiled them. So, you know, the, to hear the rancher, and all his videos and interviews are on their side. He, You know, he's really praising the Lord that it didn't get ear tagged, so I don't know one way or the other, but... But those are the five. They're in Israel right now. They flew over, it'd be two weeks this Thursday. They're in quarantine in Haifa or Haifa. Veterinarians are looking over them. You know, they, they're in mandatory quarantine for a month since it's cattle in, the, in, in Israel. So that's them. They're about one year old. The, the cows are. Let me back up. Show. They're about one year old. They need to be three before they can be offered. So they need to stay pure red for the next two years. And uh, we'll talk more about that kind of stuff. 
So that's kind of the, to date, what's happened. They found some red cows, the Jews are excited, they're real excited. This is the first time they've ever flew them to Israel. There's been a lot of false starts over the years. A few years ago we had one and it made it to like almost two years and then it started getting white on it. Uh, there's been there's been others that they sprout white after a while. So these guys could all sprout white, but it's still exciting to think they're serious enough that they flew them in. All right, so look at our handout now. I'm going to kind of go through this. I'm going to do a kind of both. So what is a heifer? I'm not a farm guy. <laughs> well, I think a heifer is, you know, the, 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 yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's a young female cow that's never had a calf. It's just a young, a young cow, girl, female. The first time of heifers mentioned in our Bible is in Genesis 15.9. That's when God begins his covenant with Abraham and, and he asks Abraham to go get a, a heifer, a three-year-old heifer. So that's where the three years comes from because the Jews said, well, Abraham was told to get it three years old, so we're going to stick with it and then we make it three years old. Uh, but the color wasn't specified with Abraham. It was just a three-year-old heifer. Okay, so what is the red heifer purification ordinance and how does it relate to the Mosaic offerings? Alright, so what I thought I would do, we need to do a little Old Testament history bone-up on this. So what is this red heifer thing? First, I want to kind of explain... The first part of the handout, the first part of my speech here, I'm going to explain like the biblical ordinance that God gave the Jews. That's what we're going to talk about. We're not going to talk about all the hype and sensualization. I don't know how you say that, but we're going to talk about the biblical view. So let's uh, kind of go to the way back machine and think way back at the beginning in Genesis when God, God called Abraham that's in Genesis 15 and that's when he tells Abraham to go get the red the, the, go get the heifer, not a red heifer just go get a heifer, three years old and he, he begins a covenant with Abraham that you're going to be my chosen people and the sign of the covenant was the circumcision that's why I stuck a knife up there uh, that was the sign of that covenant well, we know the story that Abraham's family grew and they end up down in Egypt as slaves. You know, the Egyptians, we, we know the, the story of the Passover. Uh, Moses shows up, parts the Red Sea, they leave Egypt. We remember all this. And uh, they're only gone for a week or so, and they, or maybe a month. They end up at Mount Sinai, the children of Egypt, or the children of Israel do. And at Mount Sinai, that's when God, uh, that's when they made a covenant with Moses, I will be your God, you shall be my people. And that's when God gave them the tabernacle and all the sacrificial system that, that went along with that. And that was only about six months after they left Egypt. So within six months of leaving Egypt, they had the tabernacle, they had the Ten Commandments, they had the sacrificial thing up and running. Um, these are the five offerings that he gave them. You guys probably look familiar, hopefully. The, these are the five offerings 
that are given to the people. Is this on this? It's not on the handout. Yeah, I kind of have a multi thing going here. Some the handout has something. And if anybody wants the slide deck, like Blend, I can send this to you. I mean, that's no problem at all. Anytime I teach, anytime in here, uh, you guys are free to have anything I I put out. I don't care at all. So. God gives them with Moses, this is within a few months of getting out of Egypt, this system of sacrifices and offerings. You know, if you, if you have a sin, God has, you know, like we have an app for that, God had a, an offering for that. If you do something, God can cover you in, in your sin with one of these five offerings. So everybody kind of follow me there? This is all in Leviticus. Yeah, the first that, that's what the book of Leviticus is all about is, is how these offerings work, how you perform them. And he had specific offerings, uh, for example, we're going to talk about death. if you know touching a lot of these well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but a lot of these uh, laws that God gave them were very hygienic and especially around death. They they would they would be considered unclean when they touch a dead body. So the idea was when someone dies, get them in the ground as soon as you can. Which that's that's hygienic. That's not just a good idea. You know, all the hand washing and all that stuff. All the laws he gave the Jews uh, were very hygienic in nature, but they didn't know it back then. They didn't know all that stuff. So, but anyway, so they have all these offerings, and this this is what they they know to do. Um. They had the five offerings, then they had the one day of atonement, which is coming up in a few weeks in Israel. This is the once a year offering where the high, it's for the nation at a nation level. That's where they, uh, the whole scapegoat, they take two goats and a, and a, and a bull, and put them, they sacrifice them, they sprinkle blood on the, 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 the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies one time a year. Uh, sprinkles blood on the, on the, the mercy seat there and they let the scapegoat go, and the Day of Atonement. That's the Day of Atonement. So, those are those are the offerings that God gave them within six months of leaving Egypt. So, everybody kind of following me there. That's that's all they had, and we know the the offering, the sacrificial system was was burdensome. If you did touch a dead body, you had to uh, leave the camp. For some specified period, it depends on who you touched and who you were. You had to leave the camp, and then you had to do a sacrifice, like a trespass offering, because you you're unclean. So it was a big deal. So you really don't want to go touching dead bodies because you don't want to have to go through the hassle and then all the work to cleanse yourself. Okay. And it was like that with all all the sin, you know. And it was just it was a very rugged system. So that was within six months. So. So here's what happens. This is cool. Hopefully I don't want to lose anybody here. But after you know, you know the story, they, they pick up and leave, the tabernacle's portable, and they're they're doing their wilderness wandering. They've had the sin at Kadesh Barnea. They're they're wandering through the desert, carrying the tabernacle tabernacle, they're doing their sacrifices, you know, they're living life. It's the daily rut. And as they're as they're going through the wilderness, you know, people are dying more and more. People are getting larger. They have the uh, they have the big episode with the sons of Korah that were challenging Moses's uh, leadership, and 
and God ended up striking down like 14,000 people and that was right before the ordinance here so so death is getting more and more common it's getting more and more of a problem in the camp of Israel and, you know, and they've, they've got an offering system to deal with that but it's cumbersome it's tough um, well God comes up in Numbers 19 with a new ordinance the red heifer ordinance this is something new that he comes up with uh, that's very cool. It's kind of confusing at first, but it's kind of a way of helping deal with the problem of, of death. You know, and what, what's death really? It's, it's the curse of sin. They were, we're all living under the, the curse of sin. You know, death is just it's here. So, so God came up with this red heifer ordinance. I think now would be a good time to go ahead and read it. Let's just see what he says about it. I don't even have my Bible up here. So yeah, everybody can turn to Numbers 19. Yeah, I got it. I'll use mine here. I got. I'm not sure what version you got. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> oh, I know what. We're all on the same team in here. All right. So flipping over to Numbers 19. Remember, this is what God gives them after 20 years of wandering and death is getting more and more of a problem. Uh, Numbers 11, Numbers 14. All right. Um, oh, we should do the reading, or if I should just read. Uh, I'll just, I'll just read it. All right. So Numbers 19, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying. This is the ordinance of the law which the Lord hath commanded, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel that they bring thee a red heifer without spot, wherein is no blemish, and upon which never came a yoke. Okay, now that's the biblical requirement for this red heifer. Red, no spots, not blemished, doesn't have broken foot that's healed or anything weird, tail crooked or nothing. And it's never been worked. It's never had a yoke on it. It's never been ridden, I guess. Never done anything hard. That, that's the simple requirement, really. That's not terrible. I mean, we have a red heifer across the street from us. You know, we have cows around, all around us, and that could be the one. But anyway, that's the, that's the requirement. So the verse 3. And ye shall give her unto Eleazar the priest, that he may bring her forth without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. Alright, so take this red heifer, go outside of the camp, give it to Eleazar. He's, he's number two in charge. Aaron's the high priest. This is Aaron's son, Eleazar. So that's, that's significant in a second. So take it and give it to Eliezer, the second in command, the second high priest. Take it outside the camp and slay it. Verse 4. And Eliezer the priest shall take of her blood with his finger, and he'll sprinkle of her blood directly before the tabernacle of the congregation seven times. So they kill it. They get, they get a few blood on his hands, and he, he looks at the temple. He looks at the tabernacle. Actually, I should have got it. It's setting up there. Yeah, we'll get it. And he, he sprinkles blood seven times in the direction of the tabernacle. 
Verse 5. And one shall burn the heifer in his sight, her skin, her flesh, and her blood, with her dung shall he burn. Complete sacrifice. Verse 6. And the priest shall take cedar wood and hyssop and scarlet and cast it into the midst of the burning of the heifer. So while the heifer's on fire burning, throw these three items in it. And we'll talk about those in a second. Verse 7. Then the priest shall wash his clothes and he shall bathe his flesh in the water and afterward he shall come into the camp. The priest shall be unclean until the evening. The the act of Eliezer doing that makes him unclean. So he's got to clean himself before he can rejoin. So that's interesting. We'll talk about that. Verse 8. He that burneth her shall wash his clothes in water and bathe his flesh in water and shall be unclean until the evening. And a man, everybody involved in this ordinance is made unclean by burning this heifer. Verse 9. And a man that is clean shall gather up the ashes of the heifer and lay them up without the camp in a clean place and it shall be kept for the congregation of the children of Israel for a water of separation. It is a purification for sin. So the guy that collects the ashes, now he comes on the scene. This is someone that's clean, not someone that's been part of the previous you know, activities. He collects the ashes, puts them in a vessel, takes them without, puts them in a safe place. Verse 10, And he that gathereth the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. And it shall... So, the guy that picks the ashes up, now he's unclean. Everybody that is involved in this thing is turned ritually unclean. That's interesting. And he'll be unclean until the evening. Or the even. And it shall be unto the children of Israel and unto the stranger that sojourneth among them for a statute forever. Alright, uh, that's key there, but we're going to skip it for now. So let's look at verse 11. Now 11 is paragraph mark. If you don't have one in your Bible, it's a paragraph. It's a new paragraph. So now God's going to kind of switch gears a shade, and, and he's going to explain the laws of touching a dead body. He that touches the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with it on the third day. Okay, let me back up. They, I, when they take these ashes, back in verse, uh, was it nine? They take the ashes of the red heifer, and then they take a big vessel of pure spring water, running water, living water. They, they, get, it, they get it from the Shiloh Springs. We'll talk about that. They get a big vessel of water, pure water, and here you got a, a bowl of these ashes of the heifer, the cedar, the hyssop, and the scarlet. And they put some of the ashes in the water. And that makes what God calls the water of separation. This water has the power now to uh, purify people that are unclean. So, that's, so now they've got this vessel of water. Not all the ashes, just some. Alright, so verse 12. Alright, let's go to verse 11 again. He that touches the dead body of any man shall be, shall be unclean seven days. 
He shall pure himself, purify himself with it, it being the water, on the third day. And on the seventh day he shall be clean. But if he purify himself not on the third day, then the seventh day he shall not be clean. Whosoever touches the dead body of any man that is dead and doesn't purify not himself, defileth the tabernacle of the Lord, and that soul shall be cut off from Israel, because the water of separation was not sprinkled upon him. He shall be unclean, and his uncleanliness is yet upon him. Um... Looking down here, it basically then it goes on to say that when, when a man dies in his tent, if someone dies in your house, all that are in the tent and everything in the tent shall be unclean seven days. And every open vessel which is in it, if you've got a pot of chili and it doesn't have a lid on it, that is now unclean because someone died in your back room. Verse 16, whosoever touches one that is slain with a sword, this is out in battle, in the open fields, or a dead body, or a bone of a man, or a grave, any of these, anything to do with a dead man or body, you'll be unclean seven days. And uh, the unclean person, they shall take of the ashes of the burnt heifer of purification for sin and running water, and they shall put it in a vessel. And this is how they apply in verse 18. And a, clean, a clean person, someone that's clean now, will take hyssop, another little bunch of hyssop. They'll dip it in the water and they'll sprinkle it upon the tent and upon the vessels, upon the persons that were there, and upon him that touched a bone or one slain or one dead or one in the grave. And the clean person shall sprinkle upon the un- all the unclean on the third day and on the seventh day. And on the seventh day he shall purify himself and wash his clothes uh, and bathe himself in the water and he shall be clean. Alright, so you kind of see what they do here. They take the ashes, sprinkle some running water. That creates the water of separation, purification water. If someone is unclean, you get a clean priest or someone to dip hyssop in that water and sprinkle, just, just a drop, just sprinkle them. And now they're clean. They do it on the third day and again on the seventh day and they're done. Alright, how easy is that? Alright, so down uh, verse 20. But the man that shall be unclean and shall not purify himself, that soul shall be cut off from among the congregation, because he hath defiled the sanctuary of the Lord. The water of separation hath not been sprinkled upon him. He is unclean. And it shall be a perpetual statute unto them that he sprinkles the water of separation, shall wash his clothes, and he that touches the water of separation shall be unclean until evening. And, and whatsoever the unclean person touches shall be unclean, and the soul that touches it shall be unclean. So if you're unclean, everything you touch becomes unclean. So it's just like sin. When sin is just spreads, it's contagious, and it affects everything around you. And that's kind of what he's saying there in those last few verses. So obviously this is a strange ordinance. So now, let me flip back to my handout here, because I don't want to to miss anything. Um, That's the ordinance. It's weird, it's different, it's dramatically different than anything else that God had done up to date. And and the, the differences make it very cool. So, on the handout, it says uh, the Mosaic Covenant came with an offering system to deal with man's sin. You know, we talked about the five offerings, the Day of Atonement. 
when needed, this red heifer ordinance is performed by the Levitical priests. And like I said, the, red, the, the burning of the red heifer is used to create the water of separation. I'm just going down the bullets here on the handout. Uh, this, this water is used to cleanse people from their defilement from death. When the water is used up, which can take years or centuries, then another red heifer is, the, the ordinance is done again. Moses, Aaron, and Eliezer did this first one, right here in Numbers 19. The Jews teach that there were nine that have been done since. And I, I put them in the table there. The tenth one, the one that we're coming up to do, is supposed to be done by the King Messiah himself. That's what they teach. And, and we'll talk about the Mishnah. So that's, that's how it worked. They burnt the, the heifer. They got a pile of ashes. They saved those ashes. They created this water of, of separation. And you know, whenever they eventually used all of that water, they, could, they had more ashes. And they could keep making this formula until the ashes ran out. And then they, make, they do the ordinance again. So Moses did the first one. You look down here on the table. Ezra did the second one. So those ashes that we just read about in Numbers 19 lasted like a thousand years until Ezra, which you know was in the Babylonian captivity, part of that time period. So that's how long that those ashes lasted. Well, then they kind of burned through them. They, they seem to do them every 50 to 100 years, if you look at your table there. The last time they did it was number 9. It was at Yishma ben Pabi around 60 AD which you know is right before the temple got destroyed by the Romans so that was the last time the Jews were able to do this ordinance was right before the temple got destroyed in in around 60 AD that's why they're so excited because they're out of ashes they are long gone and from a Jew's perspective the Jewish mind Everyone in Israel now, all the Jews, are impure. They've all touched dead bodies. They've all been around death all these years that they've been a nation. They've had all these bloody wars. Everyone over there is impure. And they can't pick up a hammer and start building the temple with a bunch of impure people. So they need to purify everyone involved in the rebuilding of this temple. And, and so that, that's the, the excitement We've got possibly another heifer. The Messiah is going to burn it this time. And we'll use those ashes to make another batch of water that we can start purifying people to build a temple. That's kind of what's going on. And that's pretty cool. But, okay, well, let me, let me save that. So let's uh, look over that in a second. So, as Bible believers, let's, let's table the Jewish mind for a second. Just... The only thing about the Jews, it's really neat to look at this ordinance from a New Testament believer that we've accepted Christ, and how everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus, and how when God gave them this ordinance, everything about it points to the Lord, and it's a shame that the Jews have missed it. That's kind of the enigma. I don't know if you guys know what enigma means. I love the the word. I use it anytime I can. Uh, it's a riddle. It's a mystery. 
you know, the uh, an enigma. So this ordinance that we just read is an enigma to the Jews. They don't really understand it. They understand, you know, from a procedural thing, but they're missing the point. Here's the point. So on the next, I think it's your next page on your handout. Let's have a closer look at this red heifer ordinance that, that God gives us in, in Numbers 19. So, and like I said, this ordinance is dr- dramatically different than everything else that he's done to date. You know, this, this one came 20 years later, whenever death is becoming a real problem. So the red heifer, it's the young female cow. I'm just reading off the table here on your handout. Uh, young female cows never had a calf. It's perfect. This is the first time that color is an issue. So there's, there's a difference. All those lambs, the Passover, I mean, they, they, they were all to be pure, unblemished and, and such, but they were never, there were no sacrifice ever called out for a color. This is the first time God says use red. So that's, that's interesting. And it's the first time an animal isn't slain in the tabernacle. This is another big difference. Sacrifices and offerings are done in the tabernacle. In the courtyard, like I should have grabbed it up there. It's up there on the top shelf. But remember, the tabernacle is a big, giant tent area, like size of a football field. And they come in from the east, and right there is an alt, uh, a brazen altar. So the people you would you would lead your goat or your your lamb into the tabernacle, and, and immediately the priest would meet you, and they would do the offering and kill it there. You didn't go any further. This ordinance in Numbers 19 is the first time that the animal is, is killed outside, out, outside the camp, which obviously bells go off. Like, wow, that's like Jesus. And the, the animal is not offered, it's slain. Look down at verse 3, 19.3. Uh, he'll take it without the camp, and one shall slay her before his face. And all the other offerings, you know, I had that slide up a while ago, all five of those offerings, the, the animal was cut up. You know, sometimes kidneys were taken out, organs were taken out, the fat around the kidneys, I mean, quartered it up, the priest took the leg. I mean, there, there were, it was always cut up, not entirely burned. And the blood was always drained, because they didn't, they didn't burn the blood in, in those five sacrifices that we would do. So that's another very different thing here. This animal is is slain and entirely burnt. The blood stays in it. You know, that's another big difference. This animal is the, the red heifer is not drained of her blood like all the others were. So obviously the red heifer is a type of Christ. You know, he was killed without the camp. You know, he he was beat terribly. So he was red. Uh, you know, with with his own blood, uh, he was slain. Um, so yeah, he, so Jesus is the redhead. They they missed that. So that's that's interesting. Okay, so next on the table in your handout, the cedar, the hyssop, and the scarlet. They were thrown in with the with the animal burning, and the and it's interesting. These are the same three ingredients that God specifically called to use to cleanse lepers. This is showing up again. This, these three things cleanse the uncleanness of leprosy. And now they're doing the purification. Cedar, it's beautiful, aromatic. It's resistant to disease. You know, bugs don't like it. It doesn't rot very well. It's, it's, it's not easily corrupted. 
And hyssop, all through the Bible, hyssop's used in cleansing. You know, David, King David often mentioned hyssop. Uh, Psalms 51, he talks about it. Hyssop was a lowly, humble shrub. Nothing's big and fancy about it, very common. Scarlet's color of blood, you know, all through the Bible. It's uh, symbols of salvation. With Rahab, it was used a lot in the... That color scarlet was used in the tabernacle quite a bit. Uh, the garments of the high priest, you know, my outer shell there, it was kind of a scarlet. The table of showbread had scarlet in it, and the robe of Jesus was scarlet. So these three things all point to Jesus as well. You know, being the cedar, the aromatic, the fragrant, not, not resistant to corruption, you know, all that hyssop for the cleansing, humble. Everything about it points to Jesus, so that's really cool. Now the priest, the high priest uh, that did it was made unclean as he conducted the offering. And like I said, everybody involved in this ordinance was guilty just as all of us are guilty you know with Jesus taking our sin we're all guilty of putting him on the cross and I think it's cool that okay then the the water they produce with this ordinance that makes them guilty is the same water that cleanses them later on just like Jesus you know when he was on when he was on the cross dying they were all guilty. And one of the first things he said was, Father, forgive them. He was throwing it back on them. Forgive them. It's just—it's a beautiful picture of, of how this ordinance, you're guilty by doing it, but it'll save you in the end. You know, it's just really cool. So the ashes and the running water. Some of the ashes were sprinkled. This becomes a water separation. Then they save the other ashes uh, for future use. The running water was always pure living spring water. Uh, Jewish tradition. It was the the, the Shiloh Spring. I don't know, you guys probably saw that when you were there. Yeah, which is in John. I think that's the, I think that's the pool where the guy was waiting for the waters to be yeah. to put me in the pool. I think I'm not. I haven't read that. But anyway, so it was pure living water. So the ashes alone didn't do it. It was the mixing of the water. The running water, just like you know, and there's types of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, and it, it gets kind of cool there. And I didn't want to go into all that, but it, it's pretty cool. All right, so then the water separation is, is produced by the sprinkling of the hyssop. It was used to purify and cleanse everything that's been defiled by sin. All it had to do is be sprinkled by this this mixture. Um, it was a provision. The provision for cleansing for is okay. Yeah, I like this. Uh, the third bullet there. This this ordinance was for cleansing. It's good for the Jew and the Gentile. Down in Numbers ten, God specifically says this ordinance will will create the solution to cleanse Jew or Gentile. The whole world benefits from this ordinance. It's not just the Jews like the other... You had, to, you had to become a Jew, a proselyte, to, to, to take part and have a relationship with God and bring your sacrifices. You had to be a Jew. Not with this. This is a new... This is a better way of getting clean. So, um, yeah, and I put similar ritual used to purify and cleanse leprosy. And this is a cool difference. This is like bullet four on your handout. With leprosy, it really with all the sins that you do, you do the sin, 
And then you had the burden of coming up with the sacrifice. You had to spend the money to go buy a, a lamb, whatever, whatever you needed for your sin. And you had to take off work or whatever. You had to go to the tabernacle. You had to work and do that. This is the only sacrifice or offering that the offering's already been made. You just receive the purification of a previous offering. And that's another thing that's really different about this. But obviously that's like Christ. Um, so yeah, that's why it's better. Actually, yeah, let's turn to Hebrews 9.13 for a second. Because this is actually mentioned in the New Testament. Hebrews 9.13 because you know the book of Hebrews is all about how Jesus is better than the Old Testament and uh, this is just another another cool thing here Hebrews 9.13 and 14 alright everybody there so it says for if the blood of bulls and of goats that's the five sacrifices that they all knew about if the, if the blood of the bulls and the goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifieth to the purifying of the flesh. So there he's just covered everything in the Old Testament. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, to purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? So there it just flat out says, those were good, Jesus is better. You know, just, just like in our timeline here, this is good. You have an offering for your sin. This is better. You do less. God does more. The sacrifice is made in the past. All you have to do is receive the purification. So, very cool stuff. So, uh, you know, another thing cool when you read in the, the numbers, really at the end of the Old Testament, there's, there's basically two types of people back here in the in, in the wilderness wanderings, the clean and the unclean, just like today, saved and unsaved. So these two types of people. So if someone wanted to be clean, anybody, Jew, Gentile, they can partake of this ordinance. Just one drop. That's all you needed. Water mixed for the sacrifice from the past. So all right. So down on the bottom of your page, I put I just put together a quick little table. How the red heifer is a, is a foreshadow. It's a type of Christ. They're both perfect, pure, without spot. Jesus was red with blood. They were never under the yoke of sin. They were both sacrificed outside the camp. Like I say, it's the only sacrifice like that. Both sacrifices are unique. Jesus was unique in his sacrifice, and so was the, the red heifer. Uh, both are completely offered. That's another cool thing. They're effective for the Jew and the Gentile. Failure to receive the cleansing. If you're a Jew and you're unclean, failure to do that is pretty much a death sentence because you are ostracized from the community, from God's protection. You're on your own. You, you know your family's gonna. You're not. You're not gonna have the protection and the covering of being one of God's people. So, you know how we can liken that to the unsaved today. Um. Yeah, it affects fam friends. We all right. Then another. Oh, this is this is cool. When I was reading through these, you can't cleanse yourself. You can't sneak into the temple at night and grab your own hyssop and dip it in the water and 
You can't do it yourself. You've got to have someone else do it for you. And that's pretty cool. Just like Jesus had to do it for us. This is just a really cool thing. You know, and it, 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 He has made it so much easier. It's like God is just, you know, he, we know He loves us. Um, but you know, like it says in Zephaniah, he, he really likes us too. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. He could see that this, was, this system is a little burdensome. And as death is the curse of death is getting stronger, he came up with this. It's just really cool. A better way to get to God is Numbers 19. Alright, so now that's how we look at it as believers. Alright, next page on the handout. You know, this this is means a lot to us as you know, we've we've all accepted Jesus. He's he's our red heifer. Uh, we've been purified and cleansed, and you know, there's all that. But our Jewish friends, that's why I say this is an enigma, because they don't understand any of this. They're still stuck here in the Old Testament times. Um, They look at this totally different than we do. And to kind of get into the Jewish mind, i just go through a few things here. Some definitions. The heifer is the same. The Torah is the first five books of Moses. The Midrash, Mishnah, and Talmud. You know, I've talked about those before. Uh, Steve probably has too. Remember when the Jews went to captivity in Babylon, they lost their temple because it was destroyed. This is Jeremiah. We just finished Jeremiah. When they go into exile into Babylon, they got no temple. Uh, the whole priest system, everything is pretty much gone. So that's when the Jews started coming up with the whole synagogue thing. They started coming up with uh, commentaries and, and other ideas and, and other things that are outside the Bible. Um, they actually teach that God gave Moses the written law, the Torah, but he also gave Moses the oral law. Told Moses a lot of stuff that never got wrote down, that they're just passing down generation to generation. That's the Talmud. Uh, no, actually, that's the Midrash. Um, no, it's the Mishnah. Yeah, it is one of those. So you've got you've got Jewish. The Jews started really adding to the Old Testament teachings while they were in captivity, and that has just continued to get worse and worse. So that when Jesus came. You know, they had the Sadducees and the Pharisees and they had all this other bloat that wasn't in the Old Testament. They've kind of come up with it through the ages and they've continued to come up with it. Uh, the Mishnah is the big famous one now. It's a, just a huge collection of teachings. In 1180, one of their famous rabbis, in 1180 AD, this guy named Moses ben Mamion, he wrote a document... This is it. Called the Para Aduma. It's the cow uh, red. Uh, you know, the name Adam means red clay. I think Steve's taught us that before. So the, the Aduma is red. So this is, this is a, the, man, the Jewish manual on the red heifer. This is all the teachings that they're going by today. Um, it's 50 pages hundreds of laws to the minute detail of it just, it's ridiculous in a way what's in here they uh, 
so a lot of the teaching that they're teaching, like on the Temple Institute and such, and, and a lot of the videos we watch that are quoting requirements from here, not here. You know, and that's where it gets a little confusing. Like, yeah, it should be red, but you know, the Jews teach it can't have two non-red hairs. Well, that's really not in here. I mean, that's in here. You know, they teach that the red heifer can't have been a C-section, like delivered to a C-section or something. Or, you know, it's in here. It's not here. So there's a lot. Of, there's 50 pages of this uh, stuff. Um, some of the interesting things they teach is be, is uh, one of them is about the collecting of the water. Actually, I, put, I think I put it on here. Yeah, let me just look at these real quick. So it's red without spot. That's in Numbers 19 and the Mishnah, the Torah. The no blemish, that's in Numbers 19 and the Torah. The whole thing about the hooves, the eyes, the tongue, inside the ears, everything is inspected. That's really more in the Torah than the Numbers 19. Never been yoked is in both. Never been pregnant is in both. Three years or older, you know, in Numbers 19 it just says young. The Hebrews it says just young cow, so... Uh, that's the thing to go either way on that. C-section, that's not in the Bible. Slain outside the camp, you know, that's the same. Sprinkling bloods toward the tabernacle is the same. The bridged amount of olives. I think I have a, I have a picture of this. This is kind of a crazy thing. The Jews are so... Okay, the city of Jerusalem has graves like from centuries past here and there. They don't really know where a grave might be. So when they're walking the heifer out to the Mount of Olives is where they try to do it. They don't want to accidentally step on a grave. So they traditionally built this arch system to walk the heifer out so they know what's under their steps and there's no hidden grave. So they, they this is what they did. I don't know if they'll do it again, but that's really not in the Bible. I mean, that's they just said take it without the camp, but they've kind of come up with this. So, you know, whatever, that's okay. And then the running water. The Bible says in Numbers 19 it should be, you know, running water. But then they have kind of went an extra further. The Jews teach that children need to collect the water. The children need to be absolutely pure. So what they did, ladies would have babies and they would live in the temple at this little courtyard next to the, the spring until the kid was eight years old, and then he could run off and do other things. So if the kid needs to collect the water, he's pure. He's never been around death. He's never. He's not defiled. He's he's ritually clean, and he could collect the water for him. And then he had to ride on like some kind of weird. I don't think I took a picture of that. But yeah, board. He had to ride on some kind of weird board thing to get to the red heifer, so his feet don't touch the ground. I mean, they've come up with a lot of stuff in this mission. And that's what this document is here. It's covering all that. Uh, yeah, those are the three ingredients. Uh, yeah, the negative sprinkle people. Yeah, that's the enigma part. So, um, yeah, yeah, store any ashes in three places. That's them. Okay, the last line on your handout on that table there, that, that the King Messiah will perform the tenth. That's obviously, that's in here. It's chapter 3, Law 15. Um, that's not in Numbers 19. You know that there's been nine. Or so, a lot of the stuff we hear relating to the red heifer is, is of course, not in Numbers 19. It's, it's in the mission of the Torah. Uh, so the enigma. And then they also teach that Solomon had no idea what all this meant. That could be because it is. You know, the the clean become unclean by doing the ritual. 
the unclean thing, the ashes and such, will make you clean, and you can't cleanse yourself. I mean, it's a really kind of a riddled ordinance. How strange. Uh, I think that's really, that's kind of the red heifer. So, a lot of press, a lot of sensationalism going on with the red heifers over there. Uh, you know, it's it's very interesting to us as believers, but you know we got to keep, you know, got to keep our wits about us. That it's you know, you know I, I love it. I love this stuff. I, I read about it all the time, but I do know that I've got my red heifer. You know, and I think most of us here do. Uh, it's interesting to see how God is using the Jewish traditions and non kind of non biblical things to help bring about God's plan. You know, just like He uses people. You know, goofing around to, to bring about God's plan. Bring it, Dave. The Antichrist fall into this because he, then the Antichrist, when they do the sacrifice and all that. Yes. You know, about that time in that when the Antichrist is shown. Yes. So yes. So let's just say one of the five <clears throat> is pure, and, and the rabbis deem it okay. This is the guy, and they do the red heifer, the ordinance. They they cleanse the workers. They cleanse everybody. They get you know political agreements and governments, and they can start building a temple over there. They have full intention of restarting the sacrificial system, you know, because that's that's where they left off. So they'll start doing those five sacrifices. And at some point during that time, as the world gets worse and worse, the Antichrist is going to rise up and kind of insert himself into that. And he'll want to set himself into that temple and say that he's the God that you need to be sacrificing to. And then then they'll reject him. They'll finally realize, whoa, this is the wrong guy. And then, you know, that's the second half of the tribulation. So the temple has to be there for the Antichrist to use it to trick the Jew, to fool the Jew. So it's got to be built. The third temple must be built. So and and being built will allow the Antichrist his plan to go forth. So this is all really cool stuff that we're getting closer to the actual building of it. Assuming these one of these five is the the guy, the candidate that they can use. So that's how that kind of plays in. And and at some point in there the church will be raptured out. You know, so we we may not see all of this. We may see some of it. We may see the agreement to the temple, and then we're going out. I mean, a lot of people teach. I mean, there's, there's kind of two trains of thought that I've always seen: is the church will either be raptured uh, at the Feast of Trumpets or or booths. The what's the booths? Uh, it's tabernacles because God came down and tabernacled with us. Uh, Larkin is, teaches all that. So. Either in the fall with the feast, which we're in today's feast trumpets, you know, you'll, you'll hear the mighty trumpet of, of God. A lot of people teach today. Or the day of Pentecost, after Christ, when the church was born, when the Holy Spirit came down, that's the day he's going to go up. So somewhere in there, we'll probably end up going out of here. How much of the temple in that process we see, I don't know what he knows, of course, but it's just the fact that it's here. So cool. Mm-hmm. You know, so cool. So anyway. We're close. Yeah, we're close. I mean, in order to... Yeah. Where do they have the Ark of the Covenant? That's the question. Well, it depends on who you ask. Some say yeah, some say no. I'm sure they'll remake it. 
Yeah, they made pretty much all the utensils, all the priestly garments. The temple runs a priest school where they're training these guys. There, there, there will be a priest ready to take over uh, as soon as this is ready. So, I mean, all the parts are coming together, and this heifer is a big part of it because nothing can be done with a bunch of impure people, defiled. So, once they're clean, it's on. So they, does it matter that all the utensils and everything were made by unclean people? They'll have to cleanse them, just like it says in okay. here. So they can make it. As they'll make it clean. They okay. got to have the heifer to make things clean, okay. to make the water to clean things. Yeah. They don't need the temple mount because you said that they may have a different spot where they will. Yeah, build. that gets into a whole thing. the The location of the temple, you know, in the Old Testament, temple could just be a tent. I mean, right. it could be a tent, a tent canopy. But uh, yeah, they. Modern archaeologists think that the actual temple didn't stand where the the the, mo- the dome of the rocks at now. That it was actually in a flat place. They they see these infrared pictures of an outline of the temple, and so they may end up building down there. That's kind of where they do the Passovers. In the old city. Yeah, it's all in the old city. Yeah, yeah. Because when they do Passover today, they they'll, they'll kill a lamb and they're in a little ten by ten tent. Um, and it's in this Jewish controlled flat area that's right off the temple. So if that could be the temple, the location. But, yeah, it's really cool. Any other questions? Anything? Diane, Diane? Is this kind of what you was expecting? Yeah, I mean, it's the red heifer. to me because I haven't yeah. learned it. So it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a neat subject. See the end times come about. Was the uh, was the red heifer kind of for everybody? Yeah. I guess my thought was it was more for the priest to, to purify them, but it was kind of for everybody. Everybody. It's for all the people, Jew, Gentile. You know, that's why I like about verse 10 there. Yeah. Anyone that comes in that wants to be clean, this this water will clean you. That's good. Yeah. How are they going to spread it that far? Well, that's what's cool. They, they only take a little bit of the ashes. And that, it's not very much. They, you know, I think, Steve, we were trading emails a few years ago. The Temple Institute actually burned a heifer just to, just to test to see how many ashes do we get out of a heifer and cedar and hyssop. And that was like three or four years ago. Me and Steve were trading the emails. I think you found it. Yeah. Gave it to me. Uh, and they estimated it was enough for like, I don't know, it was a whole lot, more than the whole nation of Israel. It was plenty. Okay, yeah, that's it. Uh, yeah, they don't need much. I mean, they teach you don't need a drop. And I kind of buy into well, that. You know, if you just take a hyssop and dip it in there and then do that, yeah. they're going to get a lot of... Yeah, they could even fly over cities. <laughs> you know, and, <laughs> you kind of mass thing. And they, you just take a little bit of the hash. And it depends on how big the cedar wood is. If you put in a big old piece of cedar... And, it make more of it. Scarlet. How is the scarlet? What form is that? It's in. It's like wool. It's okay. just like a little wool. Yeah, a piece of ribbon or something. They actually, they, in the book, they, the 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 manual on the red heifer, they you got to get three stalks of hyssop and like twenty feet of of scarlet and wrap it around the cedar board so you end up with this little thing. That's what they do. So it's, it's not a lot. So. They use the cedar to burn the. Pepper, or they use like oak, or are they going incinerate it? You know, that's a good question. I mean, how do they actually burn the actual fuel for the fire? The fuel for the fire, because I mean, 
Yeah, I'm sure it's in there. Well, that, yeah, that was that was part of the email. That yeah, how much wood? They were testing different kinds of wood, and they had to determine it. It got to so many thousand degrees, and it had to consume all of it. So that was part of the test was how much wood and what kind of wood to consume the whole animal. And, and they've kind of got it down. They, they Yeah, they... This doesn't say. That's was, a really good question. This doesn't say. It seemed like that. it was a pile. The picture was kind of a pile of wood, almost head high, and you know, ten feet by ten feet to burn this whole thing. Do you think it takes four or five cords of wood? Though? Yeah, at least a cord. Yeah, they were they were longer than that. Yeah. It was about a ten by ten. The picture I remember. So. That's it. Okay, so you in I think it's in Leviticus. You were talking about Jesus' robe being red. Yeah, the red scarlet robe. Okay, so how come we use purple now? Are well, that's royalty. Purple's always been the royalty, like in the tabernacle and all through the ages. Purple signifies royalty, uh, which at that time he was royalty, but he was dying as a not a not a king. He wasn't royalty, even though he rode the mule. But yeah, that's a good question. But yeah, red is the it's his. Yeah, it's and his. purple is just royal. It is royalty. It always means royalty. Okay. So. so. All right. What's that? You asked me at home. Well, all these rules in that book. The Para Aduma. So do all the Jews believe they need to go by that? Yes. This is the Not this is the law the book. Bible. Correct. I'm just wondering. Yeah, you're exactly. That's why I was trying to get the point across. This is what they're going by. It happens to coincide with the word numbers 19. But where it deviates, they go with this. So, yeah. All right. We want to pray us out. Dave, do you care to dismiss us? Uh? Sure. Father, thank you for the day. Just uh, praise you for who you are, Father. And just thank you for your written word that uh, we can actually look at the Bible and see what you want us to do, Father. And just uh, thank you for your son's sacrifice for what he did for the cross on the cross for us, Father. So we don't have to. Burn a heifer, do any of that stuff Amen. they did back in the day, Father. So we just thank you for that, Father, and thank you for Jesus. And we just love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen. 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 All right. My daughter's doing the ancestry.com. She got back far enough to the. She's got my grandma's last name. All the way back to Germany, and guess what we are? Oh, what cool! Wow. That's cool. Okay. So we were kind of looking and figuring out, trying to figure out why we came over here because we might 